Wonder how that woman came up with her cool idea and turned it into a business? Listen in to find out how. Welcome to Women Inspired. I'm your host, Linda Ugalow, and on this show, I interview artists, healers, changemakers, and entrepreneurs about what fires them up and how they put their dreams into action. And if you're someone who is wanting to speak to audiences to build your, your brand, to build your clientele, and you want to make sure that your message lands with your audience, you're going to be in for a treat today. My guest today is the former producer of TEDx Cambridge. She is a TED Talk speaker herself, and she is a brand messaging strategist for presentations. Welcome, Tamsin Webster. Well, thanks so much, Linda Ugalow. It's been months, it maybe has. a couple yeah. years, that I've been wanting to have you on oh, the show. So I am really delighted. I'm thrilled to be here. So I want to start with a, a question that I've been thinking about. You are the developer of something called the Red Thread. I am. And I want to know, number one, what the Red Thread is and why you created it. What did you see was missing or lacking or wrong or bothering you that you felt like something like the Red Thread had to come in and sew things up? Yes. Well, the Red Thread fundamentally is, uh, for the purposes of your audience, a new way to think about how to put a presentation together. It basically is a way to put your presentation together so that it feels like a story and has the benefits of a story, even if it isn't actually a story. So that fundamentally is what it is. It's a, it's, it gives us a new option to be able to do that so that we can really improve how our presentations feel and importantly are remembered by the audiences that we give them to. Mm -hmm. Why did I come up with it? I came up with it because uh, actually I was I was reading, you know, in, in in my role as executive producer for TEDx Cambridge, I was reading, of course, Chris Anderson's book, the official TED Talk book, uh, and he talks about how great presentations and particularly great TED Talks have a through line, and he describes that as you know this this thing that ties everything together, this 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 you know kind of strong core message. And he was very clear about the fact that you needed one and gave examples of them, but he was not clear on how one finds it. And so I, that, that gave me a quest, and I set off to figure out how does actually one find that through line? How do you find that core message? And thus, the red thread was born. So how how do you find that? I mean, like how like what did you what did you search for? What was your journey in discovering that? Well, my journey discovering it was building on a lot of the work that I've been doing for 20 plus years now in branded message strategy, which is how is it that someone makes a decision to do something different? Because fundamentally, isn't that why we're speaking to people? We want them to think differently, to act differently. Uh, and it, by diving into that research about how that mechanism actually happens, it's very clear that our brains make those decisions based on whether or not we can hear a story that makes sense to us. Mm. And it's not a once upon a time, you know, there was a princess in a castle kind of story. It's what does somebody want? Why do they want it? What do they do as a result? And when you're at speaking to someone and you're giving them a new piece of information, their brains are looking for those answers. So I went and really deep dive on story structure and found that a lot of the information about story structure out there was like deeply unsatisfying to me. Because uh, a lot of it is just like, well, it's a beginning and a middle and an end, or it's a setup and a, you know, build and a payoff, or it's a setup, conflict, resolution. And I'm like, yes, but what does that mean? And mm -hmm. how do you actually take some information and 
put it into that format. And the real breakthrough for me happened when I realized that there's the act, but there's also the endpoints of the acts. Like what creates the build? What creates the conflict? What creates the resolution? Uh, and it's really the major plot points of any story, which is the establishment of what somebody wants, the realization of a problem that they didn't realize that they had, a moment of truth where they realize that that problem is impossible to ignore, a choice that has to result from that if they still want to achieve the, and get the thing that they want, and then what they do as a result. And so those five pieces, which are essentially what I call the goal, the problem, the truth, the change, and the action, those pieces strung together become the red thread. They are the through line of a presentation, but they're also the through line of an idea. And, and that's turned out to be a very powerful free prize that comes along with it. Well, it sounds to me that any time that someone would want to persuade another, yes. whether it's a direction in their at the workplace, you know, for their team, or even in a family. Yeah, yes, <laughs> I have used it with my children. Have you? Can you give me an example? That sounds great. I mean, I, I thought yes, this makes sense. This makes sure. It's like, well, let's get some practical application of this. Well, there was one time where my my older son came home and he was very upset because at school that day, uh, uh, one of his friends had gotten very very mad at him, and then had later in the day started to exclude him from conversations and he felt very hurt by that so d digging into that and what was going on and it turns out that you know, earlier in the day he had made a comment to a teacher about another student and that friend of his thought it was about her and he you know and he was just very upset because like that's not what I meant that's like that wasn't what I meant that wasn't my intention and she's still you know he, he didn't use that was my intention but you know he was very upset with that and yet later in the day when she did essentially a very similar thing to him then he didn't see the parallel of that so basically using this I said well Thomas I understand that you really want to understand how do you mend this gap you know how do you mend this this rift with your friends so that's the one that's the goal that's the one yes mm -hmm. I do um, and and in, and it seems like we've got two things going on here what you meant to do and what somebody saw that you did and he's like yeah I would, would you agree that that's the case and I said would you also agree that basically you are upset that she judged you by your action and not your intent but you did very much the same thing to her because do you think she was trying to hurt you specifically or do you think that she was acting as a result of a misunderstanding? It's like, well, I think she probably didn't understand so she acted. I said, ah, okay. So here, that's the problem, this kind of tension between action and intent. And then the truth was knowing my son well, I said, well, you very much believe in treating everybody the same, right? That one rule that's good for you should apply equally to your friend, right? Yes. So is it possible that maybe it was unfair that you were judging her differently than she was judging you? Yes. So given that, would it make sense that you kind of go to her and say, I, I'm sorry that I was holding you to a different standard than I was holding myself? Yes. I mean, it was just interesting to see it, like, kind of, and it wasn't just, and it wasn't that he felt told anything, because this was a conversation going through, but it was still that same thing. We, we set up that conversation in such a way that it made sense to him. 
So another way that I describe this to people is that essentially the most important way to drive action, to persuade somebody, to get them to think, you just even consider a new thought or behavior, is that we need to build their case for that behavior, not ours. And I think a lot of times when we're putting a presentation together, or particularly when we're talking to our kids and we're like, we know what the right answer is. You just want to say, well, this is the case. This is for all the reasons I know are the right answer. But what's actually going to stick for somebody, because we know, we know this is true, is that people prefer and believe more their own conclusions. So if we can build a, a presentation, a build a message in a way that is essentially their case for that idea, then it's much, much more likely that it, it'll be successful. And it turns out it really results in a much, much more interesting, if you're speaking, a much, much more interesting presentation as well. So how does it, what does it look or sound like when it's one or the other? Like, can you give an example when someone's like teaching it or pontificate? I, I mean, I have to confess, that was probably how I started off. And, and I've worked with you, and, and I have to say that going through this process gave me a completely different understanding of what it's like to get people nodding their heads. Mm, yeah, yeah. But I'm curious what you would say about it. So the, the biggest way to recognize the difference is whether or not someone presents, the way I recognize is whether or not someone presents the conclusion first or last. And so the kind of informing, I'm making my case, it's a classic, I mean, and it makes sense because it's what we're taught in English class and all sorts of other things. It's like, start with your premise, like this is my conclusion and now I'm gonna give you three points to defend it and then I'm gonna wrap it up. So, you know, tell them, tell them, you know, tell them what you're gonna tell them and then tell them what you told them. Classic structure, it, it can work, but it doesn't work as well as actually mapping to the way that your own brain works. So it's really the flip. So think of it this way. Think of it like, you know, how interesting is it if you were to open a mystery novel and on the first page it said the butler did it. Let me prove it. That's a lot less interesting than there's a dead body in the library. Let's see what happens. And at the end you're like, you see it was the butler. You do the same thing, but just just by flipping it. Um, like I said, it's it 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 make, makes it have both the power of story, which is this, you know, every story is an argument. That's kind of a classic phrase, an argument for an idea. So it allows you to have that power of the story, but also allows you to build that really interesting kind of emotional and narrative tension um, that's a, that just ends up being much more interesting. And this is true whether you are, you know, the big speaker at the front end of a conference or you're just giving a workshop. Either way, it's a much, much more interesting and ultimately more convincing way to present information to people. Wow. Yeah, because I often, um, you know, I'm, I speak about people getting over the fear of speaking, and a lot of times the question that will come up is, how do I make, uh, how do I speak in a way that people really want to listen? Yeah. This is the answer. I, you know, the... I think so. I mean, obviously, I'm biased. <laughs> it's like I came up with it, um, but it, but just for the simple fact that it, it, it is rooted first and foremost. I mean, you know this because we've worked together. The very first thing that you have to figure out is what is it that your audience wants that you can help them get, and it's not what you think they want. It's what they say they want mm -hmm. because we have to solve the problem somebody says they have before we can solve the problem we know they have. Mm -hmm. And so, but that's another reason why presentations have much more opportunity to be more interesting to their audience because they end up feeling like they got what they were looking for and more. 
And then you as the speaker, not only are kind of a, a fellow traveler on this problem-solving journey with them, but they feel like they got this extra bonus. So Seth Godin refers to it as a free prize inside. And that's, I think that's one of my favorite feelings to help somebody give. I mean, I, I just, it's, it's delightful when people are like, oh, and I can, I can do this with it too. And you're like, yes, yes, you can. And it's, that's, I just, that's a great feeling. So you're talking about the different ways, different kinds of speaking that you can do, yep. like for meetings or I would imagine for uh, marketing, yep. social media. What are the different kinds of speaking that are available Goodness. to people? There's such a wide variety. I mean, if uh, even if we're just talking about live in front of people, you know, room type of speaking. I mean, there's there's at the high level, you know, if you're going to a big conference, there's always the person usually that everybody comes together and everybody sees that person that kicks off, and that's that's generally what's known as the keynote. Um, and sometimes that's somebody high level in your organization. Sometimes that's somebody that's been paid from the outside to come in. And for a lot of folks, that's that's a job that they want. They want to be a full time paid keynote speaker. And then from keynote, I don't like to say it goes down, it just kind of spreads out what the, what the function of the speakers are. Because in a conference like that, you've got the people who are doing what are the typically called breakout sessions or concurrent sessions, so the, the different options you can choose from to go hear people speak. Those tend to be a little bit more practical, a little bit more tactical talks. You know, those, you, know, you can go even deeper. Workshops are ways that you can get in front of people. But then you can layer in all the digital and audio formats as well. So there's things like this that we're doing right now. That's a, that's a form of speaking. There's a straight to camera video on YouTube or something like that, Instagram stories, those kinds of things. Those, all of that are opportunities to get either pieces of your message or the whole message out. I'm a huge believer in speaking to be, to drive your business. I mean, I think that that's a it's a it's an incredibly important way, and it's an incredibly underutilized way. Um, and given what you do, Linda, you I, you know we probably share a belief in why it's underutilized. I think a lot of people are afraid of it, um, but we also you and I know that it doesn't actually take that much to a get somebody over the fear of it, but b to give them just baseline skills that raise them up above, that give them the confidence and allow them to pull in all the benefits that that speaking in front of people can provide. Now you have an amazing YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah. You, well, thanks. <laughs> it's and, dormant right now. It's coming back, I promise. Well, well, well <laughs> I noticed, I think I just watched uh, Episode 100? Yes, so I paused at 100, and I'm happy to record to report that actually tomorrow I'm recording two new episodes, so stay 101 tuned. 101 and 102. That's, that's right, yeah. And, and how do you feel like that from a business perspective? How does that fit in for you? Is it, has it, you know, you've put out such great content there. How does it compare to the live speaking that you do? So live speaking for me absolutely is the primary driver of marketing and business development for me. I mean, it's because it's very meta. I mean, I'm often speaking to individuals and organizations about how to craft better messages and how that function works and what has to be in a message and all of that. Um, and so there's no better illustration for that. And there's no better way for me to get in front of a lot of really, really qualified leads to be quite mercenary about it um, than live speaking. The recorded stuff has been really interesting um, in a couple ways. One, it is 
additional resources when somebody starts to become interested in what I am and what I do because I don't have a my book is in process it's not published yet um, it's a way for folks to kind of show who I am and what I do and what I talk about to other people or for them to dive deeper um, second it's a way for folks that if I'm working with them to kind of as a have as a companion so we've been working on a certain thing and you can say oh well there's more information over my website um, and the third piece is, I, I got to tell you, is fully self-serving because with particularly the straight-to-camera stuff that most of those 100 uh, episodes have been, um, very much me working out something that nine times out of ten has either shown up later in a blog post or on stage. It's actually a way for me to rehearse and a way for me to work out what's the what's the best and most powerful way to say something. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting. So I'm going to continue with some of those straight to camera. One thing that I'm going to be introducing is a, a kind of a feature segment, as it were, um, called What's Missing from Your Message, where I'm, as people are sending me short form content, uh, and I'll do essentially a live review of what's strong about it and what's one thing that would make it even stronger. So I think I'm interested in that because I think that's a, a way for people to get not just information from that, but actually to see the process working. Mm -hmm. um, and that's an extraordinarily important way for people to learn. Uh, and so I'm I'm excited to see how that how that works and what people's responses to yeah. it. Yeah. So when you say short form, that means what I'm asking people to send me are things like what's the top page top line page of your website, or um, if you've got a description of a talk that you're giving, or what's the back cover copy of your book, for instance, something like that. So it's I mean I I can't spend you know I can't in ten minutes, which is the desired max length for these videos. I can't possibly do a review of somebody's talk or something like that, but a I can page. use. Yeah, yeah, it's a page. So mm -hmm. if I can, if there's a page, um, and I can tell you, I can tell most anything I need to know about somebody's idea from the abstract because that's actually where people struggle because um, it's easy over the course of 45 minutes or an hour to eventually get your point out. It's much, much harder when you only have 50 words or 100 words or 30 seconds or 90 seconds to get that across. Um, Winston Churchill said, we need to be just as good at the short and sharp as we are at the tough and long. Mm -hmm. And I'm all about the idea that if you start at the short and sharp, then the tough and long is a lot easier to mm -hmm. do too. That's cool. So you were talking about um, the different kinds of speaking and uh, the keynote usually would be a paid, paid thing. Typically, paid thing. yep, um, typically. A lot of people speak for free. They do, yes. And I know this is a topic close to your heart because I just got an email from you saying that you started a new podcast. I did, I did. So um, started a new podcast with my husband, who is also a speaker as well. Um, but because uh, I built my business on a lot of speaking for free or speaking for just travel and expenses getting covered, and he does a lot of that because he speaks on behalf of the company that he works for, we invented a new term for that, uh, which is as opposed to keynoting, we call it free noting. I love that. <laughs> um, or T and E noting, as, it, as sometimes is. But so travel and expense noting. Travel and expense noting, uh, right? T &E. um, uh -huh. And yeah, the so the podcast is called the Free Noter, and you can get there thefreenoter.com and. We just realized that as folks that 
uh, you know, for him, actively, it is the primary source of marketing for the company he works for, Edison Research. Um, it's absolutely how I spent and built uh, my own reputation in the marketplace. Uh, it's still what I do a lot of, though primarily, if I'm speaking, I, it's it's a mostly keynote speaking at this point. Um, but a lot of the work that comes off of that is really important. And what we noticed was that a lot of the things that are out there for speakers are either for the super, super, super beginning speaker, somebody who's just never done anything, or for the people who want to become that full-time paid keynote speaker. But Tom and I are big believers in the fact that there is an extraordinary power in freenoting. And it's, it's a bit of a different beast because there's this extra level that happens in freenoting where you are a lot of times needing to sell an idea or sell eventually a product or service that comes from that, but with the hard and fast rule that you cannot sell in the talk itself. So that creates a really interesting question. How do you sell from the stage without selling from the stage? And uh, and that's where we've, you know, each of us have spoken for you know, 15, 19 years in that kind of speaking. and. We think there's some utility in helping other people who want to do it too. Absolutely. Yeah. So that would uh, likely fall into, uh, let's say, coaches or service providers. Service providers, but it also, I mean, the thing is, like, uh, you know, like Tom is a is a senior vice president at Edison Research, and he's and the function that he plays the free noting is that, you know. Free noting for him, and they've got actually a several like a team of people now that speak at, at Edison, and that drives eight figures of business for them yearly, um, because he can give a talk, you know, at let's say a podcast conference on research that they've done, and then they will get clients off of that, where other clients, other brands, other podcast networks, say for instance, see that and say, well, we want research like that too. And so, so it doesn't have to be just somebody who is trying to sell a productized service. I mean, I've seen, you know, when I, uh, when I worked for a brand strategy agency, we would often present or co-present free note or co-free note with our clients at association conferences, for instance. So we would have an opportunity to showcase the great work that one, let's say, a higher education institution had done um, and we would be able to be able to present the from our side the process that we used, but that's the thing about free noting. We never said and then therefore come hire us. But the fact that we were showing the results and giving people the same process, a lot of times people see that and say, well, okay, I, I see exactly how to do it. I think I can do it m myself. But you seem to be the expert, and we've got a lot of other things to focus on. So what does it look like to work with you? That to me is the is the ultimate result from a free note. Is that after after it, somebody comes back up and says, "So how do you, do you do this work with people, or how do I do this, or how, what's the process to learn more?" That's to me when you know you've you've had a successful free note, um, because it's that's when you've given them enough that they can do it themselves, but they want to know more. Mm -hmm. And how often would you say that would happen? Like if someone has their message and they they are bringing in the examples of how other people have succeeded yeah. using this, would you say that would happen after every every it, talk? I, Does it like does yeah. that happen yes. for you after yes. every talk? After every talk, absolutely. Mm -hmm. After every talk. So I'm at the point now where every talk usually generates, you know, anywhere from two to five additional projects. 
and whether that's speaking again someplace else because I have free noted at an event, say locally here at HubSpot Inbound, which is a true free noting event. Um, and then they'll they'll come back and say, what would it what would it cost to bring you in to do this at our organization? Or we actually want to do the kind of project that you talked about. What does that look like? And so it's very typical for me at this point for there to be at least two to five inquiries from there, and most of the time those close. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's like I said. I, I, I. Even though I'm a, you know, lifetime marketer, essentially at this point, um, it's why I'm so passionate about it. It's because it's, it's, it's something that just works. Think about it this way. You know, if you've got a 45-minute slot, you know, at a, at a breakout session at a conference, for instance, and you've got, even on a small end, 50 people, how long would it take you to get 50 45-minute meetings with people? who actually are interested in what you're talking about. Just, I mean, just from an efficiency of time standpoint there, I mean, by and large, if it's a breakout session, people have self-selected into you. They have, they have said, I want to learn more about this. That's right. And so that's why it's so important to not sell from the stage, because you that's a, it's like a sacred trust with the audience mm -hmm. um, that they've come to learn. And so you need to be there to help answer that question they walked in mm -hmm. with. And the answer to that question can't be, buy my stuff or hire me. Mm -hmm. You have to actually give them the answer to that question. Right. So one of the ways that you know, Tom asked me this on our first, first official episode of the free note um, that we did, he said, well, how do you, would you define a, key, a free note? And I said, well, for me, a free note is something that is as useful or as, even more useful to your audience than it is to you. Hmm. So at the very least, it has to be equally useful to them as mm -hmm. to you. And I think that's a really good mental check to make sure that you've got the balance right. It's fantastic. So you mentioned earlier on about one of the reasons that people don't do this is the fear. And I'm curious what your journey has been around that. Yeah, Getting comfortable on stage. Well, you know this because we have worked together <laughs> with me. Like you helped me on this, but it's uh, I. It is. <laughs> it's I have done this for a long time, and and you know for you know about the nine of the nineteen-ish years that I've done this, I think seventeen of them were usually through pretty severe stage fright, anxiety, and panic, um, and and so. Uh, so may, at one level, let's say that that's a that's a, a, a testament to how strongly I believe in this. That, that I would essentially endure on behalf of doing this because I just felt that it was so important, and that I just it it really is important to me to help and get these messages out there to people. Um, but I had a I had a panic disorder for 17 years, so mm -hmm. they're off and on medi medication, in and out of therapy for it. Um, and even though I had gotten to a point where I had I was past panic and off medication and, and haven't had a panic attack in 11 years now, um, there was still significant anxiety with getting on stage. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know when, I, when you and I first talked, I would talk about going on stage to, to MC TEDx Cambridge. That was part of my role. Um, and I couldn't feel my hands, <laughs> you know, because I, at some level, I'd be hyperventilating at some point where I just, you know, and I would just get used to it. I'm like, so I guess this is just what it's like for me to speak is that it's a, you know, it would be, you know, physically and emotionally draining. Uh, I don't think any of that ever came out on stage as nervousness. I did got, I did get to a point where that wasn't sure, but I also know that. Uh, since you and I worked together and since I was able to not only reframe but just kind of remove all the pre 
that's, that's probably, I think you probably understand what I mean by that, but um, it's not just in the moment, how do I think differently about it, but actually kind of reframing all of how I think about speaking in such a way that that tension isn't there. Um, it's really allowed me to just be, I think, much, much more thoroughly myself on stage. Um, and I've seen that in, I've seen that in the results from free noting. I've seen that in the in the significant uptick in, in my request to keynote, um, in the evaluations for me as a speaker. All of that has gone up dramatically since I, even just since I've gotten rid of the, I have to endure the physical piece. Without having to endure that, just open this gate to allow all of that to come through a lot. Which is, there's an ease to it, and I know that was a word we worked on. I was like, I just want, I want a feeling of ease. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm really proud of that, and that absolutely came yeah. from from working. So with you. you don't feel the nervousness anymore. I'm excited. I mean, there's still excited. those moments where there's like a little bit of butterflies, mm -hmm. but it's not like. There's, there really isn't this moment of, or any of this level of like, I've got to get through this. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, you know, if if there's some dry mouth or whatever, it's it's, I'm like, it's because it's we're not wired as humans to be the one being looked at by the pack. Like we're meant to be with the pack, and if the pack is looking at you, then the wiring says something's wrong. And so sometimes if it's high stakes or whatever, still get that, but it's also, you know, one of my good friends who's been a guest here, Gina Rosson, um, gave me the best tip ever for dry mouth, which was salt and vinegar potato chips. Oh my God, that is hysterical. <laughs> which work like a charm and they work for like a half an hour. So it's like, I'm always like hoarding salt and vinegar potato chips, like just in case, like right before I speak. Um, but yeah, that ease, and it was funny, I, I got a I got a response to my newsletter just this morning where someone was saying that, you know, one of the pieces of feedback they'd gotten recently was that, that you know, they, one of the things that they saw was that a lot of times when they saw speakers, the, the, the person they saw on stage was so radically different from the person and oftentimes the friend that they knew off stage. Um, and I know I would joke with it. I mean, you know, I named that persona like I named her Becky because <laughs> my middle name is Rebecca. And so it's like I knew whenever Becky came out, like I was not like at my best as a speaker. And so I've done my best to like completely suppress Becky. Um, and that was easy once speaking became easy. And I think that that's yeah. I'm a I'm a big believer in you, and I'm a big believer um, in in finding something that's bigger than you that makes being out there easy. Um, and for me, that's, that's the ideas always. It's the, it's the audience. Um, it's, and, and the thing that you really helped me see was being excited and curious about how those two interact. Mm -hmm. um, taking every oppor speaking opportunity um, as a way, as my husband would say, the market researcher, as more information, mm -hmm. not as a you know, pass-fail test of you know, me as a human or me as a presenter, but just How's this gonna go? Yeah, and, with curiosity. And, yeah, and like this, this is I'm excited. Like I'm trying something new. How's that gonna go? Yeah. Um, and any any tension that comes from that is just kind of like the woo. I'm excited. You know. Um, yeah, it's been a big big change. And like I said, I can I can feel it, but it's been really fun to see it in in like in things like evaluations. You know, seeing the uptake, uptake in, in, yeah. mm -hmm, in requests and in the feedback that you get. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, and, and I and I and I and I really 
it, for me, it's very important that there's that, that people don't perceive there to be a difference from this, the me that you you know that, that's talking right now. And if I'm on stage, um, it's going to be a slightly different just from a pacing standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, but that you that you that there's not a gap. You're not like, oh, well, there's presenter Tamsin, because that's Becky. She's no fun. Yeah, like her. that's that's the, the real Tamsin <laughs> yeah, is exactly. on the stage like, there. That's Tamsin, right, exactly. Well, that's I am Becky. totally delighted to hear that, and thank you so much for sharing all of that oh, with gosh, us. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So what can people do to stay in touch with you? Do you, um, I think you have an assessment on your I website. Do, yes. So, I mean, I think the best way to stay in touch with me personally is to like sign up for my newsletter. So samsonwebster.com slash newsletter. Try to make it easy. Um, that's where I'll, often where I kind of am working out new things. That's kind of like, get the first access to things that I'm thinking about, things that I'm working on. Um, and also. it's a great newsletter, by the way. Thank I, you. I get so much value yes. from them. And I include my swipe file, which is all the random stories and studies and fun facts that can like liven up a presentation. Um, but if someone has a message that they're trying to get out there and they're really curious about what kind of work may need to get done on it still, what work they needed to still do on it. Um, I do have an assessment, totally free, uh, tamsinwebster.com slash assessment. Uh, and that will help them self-analyze their idea on you know, how well is it attuned to the audience, how true is it to them. But importantly, and these are the three biggies that I see people struggle with. How clear is it? How differentiated is it? How different is it from something else? And I refer to it as how defensible is it? Mm. How likely is it to stand up kind of at once people um, are out of it and thinking about it? Um, are they going to, how, how, how unhearable is it? Because mm. you know, that's what I always want to so do. So it's like a sticky factor. Sticky factor, yeah. I, I, the, the bar I try to set with both my organizational and individual clients is to give them something they can't unhear. Uh. So that's, yeah. yeah, that's important to me. So the assessment, I think, it helps people get a sense of where they might want to do some more work. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, I can say that the red thread is very sticky. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Cannot unhear it. Oh, excellent. Thank you. I have so enjoyed having you here. Thanks so much for sharing so much about so many different aspects of speaking. Oh, I pleasure. know that people are going to find this hugely valuable. Oh, thank you. People have great ideas, and people need to hear them. And there's all the barriers to getting them out there are overcomable, <laughs> um, and and we need to hear them. So. Yes. Here's to, here's to big ideas. Here's to big ideas. And if you have a little uncomfortableness about getting your big idea out, I have a guided visualization for speaking confidence. And you can get that at lindayugalo.com forward slash speaking confidence. And if you enjoyed this episode, I invite you to tune in to the next one. Thank you for listening to Women Inspired. The show is recorded live in the studios of Bedford TV in Massachusetts. Music courtesy of Sheik Gamin. If you like this episode, please leave a review or comment. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or watch all the TV episodes of Women Inspired with the show notes and links at www.lindayugalo.com forward slash TV.